Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and we'll be talking about current trends and topics in the wine world. Hello and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Every week we get together and we talk about current topics in the wine business and what's going on in the greater wine world. I'm here with my partner in wine crime, Mark. How are you doing today, Mark? Hello, Kent. I'm excited to talk a lot of wine. Today. I know we have a we have a lot of topics to cover today, and we like to kick off the show with talking about what we may have googled this week, sort of unusual or out of the ordinary topics, and we always find some interesting things on there. So what did you? Google this week, Mark. This week, Kim, I was looking at time spent per day eating and drinking by country by gender. Wow. So what country do you think eats and drinks the most every day? Usually pretty good at my little mm. quizzes. Uh, can I get a clue? Like what continent it's is it on? European. I'm going to go Italy. Italy is close. They were in the top three. Okay. It's, you I'm know, close. when we th- always talk wine production, everything, it's always France, Spain, Italy, right? So France was actually number one. Where are they? Oh, they the, still are. Okay. The men spend 133 minutes a day eating and drinking, and the women spend 130 minutes a day. I need that life. I really do. That's a lot, right? <laughs> it's a lot. That's nice, long, leisurely meals. So Could use a few France, more of those in my life. Denmark, Italy, Portugal were the top. Oh. And then the U.S., which was the third lowest. I am not surprised. Sixty. 63 minutes a day for men, 61 minutes a day for women. I'm surprised it was so close. Hmm. But I guess must be just average, yeah. you know, for human, I guess. <laughs> 63 minutes. So 63 minutes a day eating and drinking. It doesn't mean alcohol necessarily, but 20, I'm hoping it's wine. 20 minutes right? for lunch, 20 minutes for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Kim? What did you do? Uh, so thing? I uh, was on a similar topic going back to, uh, to Europe. I have a trip coming up in a few weeks. I'm going to Spain for the first time. Been on my bucket list, both personally and professionally. So I I started to do a little bit of research about the areas that I will be going to with my colleagues and looking at some maps and figuring out, you know, where we're starting and where we're ending up and all the different regions that we're going to be going through. Uh, so starting to get excited about my trip. Yeah. Thanks for rubbing it in. Yes. Once again, Kim, ah. Kim leaving <laughs> us for slumming at work and Sorry. taking a trip to Spain. <laughs> Tough life. I know. Tough life. But I'm learning a lot and I'm bringing it back and I'm sharing it with you guys. So the first topic that we were talking about today comes from us from NYU News. And it is, I think, a topic that is on people's minds more and more as we talk about organic farming and pesticides and what's actually in our food and drink. Uh, There is a startup company that is creating a product that will detoxify certain, I guess, other chemicals, you you can say, that we might ordinarily put into our bodies. So they're talking about tea and coffee and wine 
wine, but then also marijuana. So plant-based uh, items that we either we consume in different manners and that might have these pesticides on them that could be detrimental to our bodies. So let's let's forget the tea and focus <laughs> on the wine primarily. But also I want to hit on the weed thing and the and the wine. So this is was a uh, New York University a startup like an engineering school, and they looked at these hazardous pesticides and what they could do to kind of null the effects of pesticides, which is interesting. They they discovered some protein right that they mm-hmm. they can break down, but it led me to kind of a lot of questions. Kim, of what exactly the impact would be. What, what was your take on it? So my take on it was I'm kind of curious as to see what would this product actually look like. Like what would it? How could it be applied? And what would it actually do? And one of the things that was mentioned in this article was that for different manners of consumption, our bodies react differently to residual pesticides on things. So if we were to eat an apple with pesticides on the skin, that's going to impact our bodies differently than if there were pesticides on the wine grapes that were then fermented, turned into alcohol, consumed that way, versus something that would be inhaled or smoked and that it would have different impacts on our bodies depending on how it's actually getting into our system. So I thought that that was a very interesting take on it. So the main thing they were talking about is organophosphates. Mm -hmm. They call them OPs. And that's the substance they were trying to break down or get rid of. And as you said, Kim, if it's something you're smoking with these on there, you're inhaling them, it's very dangerous. But it, it didn't really point out to me once a wine is fermented, if it's on the grapes, it's fermented, is it still harmful? Does it matter? But more importantly, if you use their thing that's taking it out, is it changing anything in the grape that affects the wine? Mm-hmm. Is it more harmful? And then that leads to, okay, you're killing, you're taking this out of the pesticide. So is it still effective on the vine? It didn't really explain that. My take was that it wasn't going to be doing anything actually on the fruit itself, but it would be more in the finished product. But it, it was a little um, a little hazy the way that they wrote the article, which is kind of, I think what led to my question about well, what is this product actually going to be? Yeah, so you know, it is, say it, when is it to apply? Right, right? is when it applying it to the fruit? Is it applying it to the final product? Is it applying it to yeah? I don't know. So that's an interesting way I think of of looking at these different takes on hey, how can we maybe make the thing that we are consuming a little bit better for us. But on the flip side, you want to know if there are any detrimental effects of, of that. The cure going to be worse than uh, than the disease. And there's always so much in the news about too much you know, pesticide, Roundup, fungicides, everything being used in agriculture that people want to eliminate somehow. And in bottom line, most of the times they can't because they need to grow the vine. So anything someone can come up with that can kind of cut that out is a good thing. I just think this out it was just kind of a brief thing. Hey, it's out there. This might be coming. But they were focusing, I thought, more. I could see more health benefits inhaling something that has a pesticide on it versus the finished wine product or mm-hmm. tea product. And that seems to be the way that this startup is moving with this is that, hey, if these pesticides are more dangerous for you, if you're inhaling them, then let's tackle those products first. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. You can find Kim on VinitasWineWorks.com, and you can find myself on FranklinLiquors.com. Next, we have two articles we found that we, I, we're going to combine, Kim, on how to uh, send wine back or why to send wine back at a restaurant and how to tell if the wine is bad when you do send it back. So, Kim... 
Well, where would you like to start on this? Mm. So I think we should first tackle how would you know if your wine is bad in the first place? Because there are a lot of things that can be kind of gray areas. It, what's the difference between a bad wine versus a wine that you just don't like the flavors of? There could be wines out, and there are wines out there that are made the way that the winemaker intended them to be made and that frankly to you probably just don't taste very good. That doesn't mean that it's a bad wine. It just means it's not a wine that is matching up with the flavor profiles that you enjoy to drink. So there is a difference between a bad wine and just a maybe a not necessarily yummy tasting wine for you. So we're going to get that out of the way first. Yeah, and a great starting point. And, and this can be restaurant or retail bottles that you buy. I think that is a, a big factor that people often might have a wine that's different to them and they think it's bad. And that's just the style you might not have had it before. So the question becomes, Kim, how do we handle it at a restaurant and a retail if you know the bottle is good, Mm -hmm. but the customer thinks it is bad? And the customer is always right. So we handle it different ways and political ways. And how do you handle it in the the restaurant side? And there are some funky wines out there. So (laughs) I think it's, it's definitely understandable that if you are ordering or buying a wine that you've never had before and you taste it and it's completely off the wall sort of style that you would think that it's not necessarily good. But there are some definite problems with wines that wine bottles can have that we would then put it firmly in the this is a bad bottle category. Um, but back to your question about, you know, how do you handle it? Yes, the, the customer is is right. We, we do tend to take back those bottles, even if we don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with them. But I think at the end of the day, both from a retail perspective and a restaurant perspective, we in the industry want wine drinkers to enjoy themselves. We don't want you to drink down a bottle that you don't enjoy and that you are aren't going to use or use that you're not going to like with your meal or that you're not going to get enjoyment out of. So, you know, a lot of the times if a bottle is sent back at a restaurant, just because the person doesn't like it, there are other ways of using that wine. You know, you can use it for training you can pour it by the glass for another customer who might enjoy it a little bit more, can kind of make it an educational moment. Um, so that's kind of how we like to handle it in the restaurant biz. And the article was kind of fighting with, you know, if it is good, you know, there was both sides of, well, it's good. So what do we do? What do, we do? How do we mm-hmm. address this? And it's a tough subject because, you don't like want to you make said, the yeah, you, you want don't to make the diner feel dumb. I mean, that... Especially in a restaurant, you don't want to ruin whole meal experience they're just right. starting to maybe have a bottle of wine and and it's if it's throwing them off it's going to ruin the whole the whole right. meal right and if you're making them feel bad about not knowing what the flavor of the wine is then that can kind of ruin their experience as well and keep in mind we always talk about a corked bottle which this bacteria infects the wine they say and I, i've seen numbers different all the time cork technology is changing but they say anywhere between one and five percent of every bottle that has a cork has a, a a chance of being bad and that's an actual bad bottle so that's not what we're what we've been talking about where it's just a flavor issue that you might not like like that's where we cross the line into yes this is legitimately a bad bottle of wine and we are not going to make you drink that here's the here's the difference i see between restaurant and retail um, returning a, a bottle of wine that you say is bad in the restaurant the list is constantly changing which you're always working hard to update the list you're always pretty much checking the quality because you might have a certain say Chardonnay you have a certain vintage you're always stocking that until it runs out you're pretty much checking that all the time you're opening it a lot in retail 
we buy it, we put it on the shelf. We're not testing it, having mm-hmm. people come in and test it every day in front of us. So if someone says it's a bad bottle, brings it back, says it's bad, to me, I look, is it a current vintage? Yeah. Because a lot of times what I see is it's an older vintage where someone's probably not familiar with an aged wine, so they think it's bad because it's aged. So you kind of, like you said, it gets back to educating the customer. Hey, I'm going to take it back. Just to let you know, this is an aged wine and this is what it's supposed to really do. So is that what you were tasting or were you tasting something else? So, so do you ever ask anyone if they bring a bottle back how the wine has been stored? after they left your shop with it? Usually because, I mean, I probably just sold it to them type of Mm. thing. I've never had that where someone's had it for a long period of time or had a chance probably to store it for years. Left it in a hot car for a while. To be honest, Kim, (laughs) the the amount that is returned retail, and you probably saw it when you worked retail, it's really low. It's very small. Very low. Yeah, even working in a gigantic store that I worked in, we only got a couple of wine returns a week, maybe. Like really not a lot. For the volume that went out that door... And how much of it actually came back, very, very small. Yeah, and, and please, to our listeners, I'm, I'm not saying go just buy any bottle of wine and then try it and take it back because you're saying you don't like it because that's not the way you want to really explore the, the wine world. You don't want to do that at a restaurant, like order the most expensive bottle just to try <laughs> it and then say it's bad and, and send it back to them. But Kim, I, I had another question I wanted to ask you about the restaurants. There's the whole procedure. Someone orders a wine, you present it, you open it, they taste it, they say they don't like it. Why in a restaurant don't we get away from that procedure and just serve it using technology like a Coravin where you're just taking a little sample out without opening it and letting them sample it and then if they like it, do the do the technique of unfoiling and uncorking it. Because then if it's bad, you can just... That's a lot of Coravins out there. Well, I, I, I would think that that would... so much. I mean, yeah, but I think I that, that would think really that. make the whole process so much more complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah so at, absolutely. At legals, it's a server that's mm-hmm. doing or a bartender. that whole thing. Yep. So they don't have one. There's not one person always open and presenting the wine. Nope. No, it's whoever's taking care of that table. So we educate all of our servers and all of our associates and all of our bar staff about how to do that correctly and making sure that you have the right wine so that when you go to the table and you go through that presentation, you're having that conversation with the guests that yes this is the wine that they want it's the right vintage it's the right grape variety it's the right producer and making sure that all those bases are covered before that bottle gets opened have you ever bought a bottle of wine or been to a restaurant and you you have the wine and you don't like it but everybody else you're with is enjoying it and you just don't say anything and you just kind of accept it so i don't like the wine or the wine is bad you it's bad you know there's a flaw Mm. but no one else because a lot of people perceive things differently no i'm pretty outspoken (laughs) yeah you would you would sell and let everybody know I, yeah. I think this is bad and don't I, drink and it I've, I've done it wow. um, yeah we were we were on a cruise quite a few years ago I was still relatively new to, to the business but I don't know if they just weren't storing their wines right or if they didn't have people who knew what they were talking about but I think I sent three bottles of wine back wow. on the uh, yeah because they were just yeah cooked and I think I had one corked bottle like I think that they just it was a storage issue but people you were with didn't recognize it well I was the one doing all the tasting of the oh, wines okay. because they, they make me do that now okay. yeah well. <laughs> but if you know if it's that other end of the spectrum where it's a wine that it's just not my style I'm not gonna get in anybody's way for drinking what they want to drink um but, you know, I, I think I'm in a different and a, a somewhat strange situation is that in that people that I go out to dinner with do tend to defer to me and, and let me choose the wines. And I try to, you know, try to choose things based on what people like. But I think it's tough 
for us because we taste so much that we can, your threshold lowers to mm-hmm. flaws in wine. And did I ever tell you my story, restaurant story, my wife and the faulty wine? I don't know. Well, you I'll, tell, tell it. I'll tell you and in, in the listeners. Uh, we went out to dinner. I knew the manager of the restaurant. He comped a bottle of wine, but it was a wine that my wife drinks, a mm-hmm. style of my wife drinks. She's drinking it, enjoying it. And then I take a sip of mine and it's corked. Oh, no. But not like major bad flaw, mm-hmm. but it, it was corked. And I didn't really drink much. And after she drank a couple glasses, she says to me, why did you drink the wine? I said, well, it's bad. She's like, what? What is she freaking out? She's going to die from (laughs) drinking this cork wine. There's nothing harmful to it. Just my perception level to a corked bottle is lower than her. So she didn't find anything wrong with it. I didn't want to tell my friend who pumped me the bottle it's bad because he gave me the bottle with my meal. So that's an instance where someone can detect something other people don't, but we each kind of approach it a, a different way. I didn't, I didn't, you know, my wife was still mad at me, but what huh. could you do, right? So. so I think that's a great segue into talking about what is technically a bad bottle of wine. And we've been talking about corked bottles. There are other flaws and other faults that wines can have that sometimes can be a little bit tricky to identify, but we will start with a corked bottle since that seems to be the one that people have heard that term before and might you might be scratching your head asking, well, what does that really mean? So when a bottle of wine is what we say corked, that doesn't mean that there's pieces of cork floating around in the wine. If you do have a bottle of wine that maybe it was difficult to get the cork out or the cork was a little crumbly um, and little pieces of that got into your wine, that is not going to hurt you at all. You can always strain it, especially if you're at home, you know, you can put it through a coffee filter, you could put it through a mesh strainer and get those little pieces of cork out. But that is generally not an indication that there is something wrong with the bottle. It could be that it's an older bottle of wine and the cork has started to disintegrate, but that's not what we mean by a cork bottle. When we say that a bottle of wine is cork, it means that there was a particular fungus that had attacked that cork. And as it came into contact with the wine, it started to change the flavor of the wine, not in a positive way. So there's a whole spectrum of flavor changes that can happen to a bottle of wine that is corked. So on one end of the spectrum, you have really, really egregious badness happening to this wine. It smells like moldy basement. It smells like wet dog. It smells like cardboard that's been sitting on the floor for too long. Those sort of very unpleasant smells, very musty, wet kind of basement-y smells. On the other end, there might not be too damaged, too much damage to the wine. And if you're not familiar with what that wine is supposed to taste like, you might not even know that there's a problem. What it will sometimes do is just make the wine taste less fruity and less vibrant and just overall less flavorful than it ordinarily would. And that is what you know, one of those situations where it does make it difficult because you might taste a glass of this wine and not realize that there's something wrong with it and just think, oh, I don't like this wine or, oh, this is the style of this wine supposed to be. I just don't think it's very good. So that I think is can be even more disappointing than getting a, a super duper corked bottle. Yeah. And you know, as the wine drinker, if especially if it's a brand you drink all the time and if you open that bottle and it just doesn't taste the way you, you know it tastes, then you know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Smell is is the key. And I like that you mentioned about the cork because a lot of people think just because they try to open a wine and the cork breaks that this wine is automatically bad because the cork is broken. I, I see that. That's probably the most returns I get at retail. Someone opening it up and crack the top and then they won't they don't want to go any further because mm-hmm. they're afraid of the glass or the cork or something. Yeah, we see that so in the restaurant that's too. That's probably the most common 
uh, return. But the smell test, I think, is is probably the biggest test you can do with your wine to determine bad or good. Right. So if you do have one of those issues with a bottle of wine, if it's got that musty, moldy sort of smell, that is a definite fault. You shouldn't drink it. It's not going to hurt you, but don't drink it. It's going to mess up your palate a little bit for a little while. So absolutely send that back if you're at a restaurant or bring it back to the retail store where you purchased it and just say, hey, I got a corked bottle. Hopefully, if the, that business owner understands what they're doing, then they will take that back. No problem for you. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And more information about Mark can be found at franklinliquors.com. So we've been talking about how to tell if a bottle of wine is not good. Should you send it back? Should you return it to the store you purchased it from? We were talking about a corked bottle of wine. But there are other problems that could happen with a wine that would make it faulty or flawed and that you maybe shouldn't be drinking it. Yeah, you mentioned temperature. Kim in a restaurant there's a lot of things I, I mean my trick is I look around do they have a nice little wine room do you see them coming out of that room a temperature control type of thing or they they have it hanging at the bar in a window or something you can tell how they're treating their wines at legals do you have a temperature controlled mm-hmm. wine cellar yeah there are cellars there are does anyone know, ever bars ask and you stuff that? um not that I've heard, but I'm sure that there have been conversations about about storage. I think but, that's strange that, you I mean, we think of it because yeah. we're in the industry, but you really could ask that. You could actually, if it's a red wine and they bring it to you, you could touch it and see if the mm-hmm. bottle is like too cold or something too. So temperature is key. Yeah. So storage is important. You don't want too much temperature fluctuation in your wine storage because that can also alter the flavor. If it's warm and then cold and then warm and then cold and then warm and then cold, that can have a negative impact over time on the wine. So poor storage conditions, too warm temperature storage over a long period of time can start to degrade the wine. And how you are going to tell if this was a problem with your bottle is look at the color. Is it a a brown color or is it that vibrant red or purple or clear for a white wine that you would expect the wine to be? So if you have a wine that is got a lot of brown tints to it, that could be an indication that it it has started to, to go bad or maybe is a little too old. I mean, unless it's tawny port, you generally don't want too much brown in your wine. And then smell. Smell, as you mentioned before, Mark, is a really great indicator of something maybe being off with your wine. So if it smells vinegary or if it smells rubbery or if it has too much of like a cooked apple kind of smell like overdone brown applesauce and that's a really good indication that maybe your wine is a little bit either over the hill or hasn't been stored correctly. So what do you, let's talk about a few retail things maybe to look for and we both deal mm. with getting wine shipped to us from distributors and winter time of year it's difficult because a lot of these companies they load the trucks at night it's cold a lot of them don't store the trucks inside and then it sits in the truck all day so a lot of times if a retailer even the restaurant you get a wine you you have to be careful because it might have just came in it might have been a product that was just flown into the country Mm -hmm. delivered so at times wines need to kind of settle a little bit as well not just temperature but from shipping they have flaws that can result from that so it could be like you said earlier kim there could be no fruit showing in the wine something like that so don't be afraid to ask is this something you just got in or is this something you've had on your rack for a while and and look how it's stored on the rack that type of thing is kind of a tip i would 
I would give. So you're worried about sometimes wine being too cold in the truck as it's being shipped? I would think the opposite. I would be worried about summertime and both, the wine's being exactly. too warm in yeah, the back both, of a truck. Both ways. I, I've actually had one example when you talk about heat. I had a product come in. It was so hot I couldn't touch the bottle. Oh my gosh. And it ended up being, it was something that was, it was like a sangria and it's it was like hot uh, bottled for some reason, like a pasteurization type oh. of thing because it had fruit juice in it. Okay. And that was normal. They had just made it the day before and it was still hot. Oh my goodness like, you could not touch the bottle was that a local production yeah oh wow. so How i interesting. called up and i said these bottles are hot i don't want this this product right and that was normal but then you have the case like this time of year in the winter where they come in and there's actually you can't touch them they're so cold mm-hmm. so you worry like wow and and i see this when salespeople come in to see me i don't know if you go through this kim they don't you know, try this wine oh but it's been in my car all day it might need to <laughs> let's let it sit let's for a little bit let it warm bit, up you know? a little bit it's freezing cold so it can get damaged because of that so i think that's something too when we've been talking retail and restaurants but people have to consider when you order things online and get it shipped you don't know from the time it leaves a winery or a wine club where it's been when you get it sometimes like the rail lines break down and you could get stuck in arizona in the Mm. heated car a lot of times they're not temperature controlled so there's a lot of factors like that to think about uh when you're ordering wine and i bet a lot of people don't think about these things i mean often we don't think about these things you know how does it get from point a to point b and you we can only be responsible for the the stage of of that wine yeah, how take it, take it to another level Kim producer in France it, it gets bottled there it goes to some storage facility there it goes mm-hmm. to some container it may go to a, some it goes to a ship right yeah. who knows wh- wh- and then it goes to, and receives somewhere in New Jersey in a pile of uh, tankers you don't know what's going on, but it's a, it's just amazing the end result, right? It's amazing that the wine, so much wine, still tastes so good uh, <laughs> even after all this all this travel. But yeah, so just a couple of tips about when you're dining out or when you bought a, bought a bottle of wine, how to tell if it's good or bad or technically bad if something is off. So and pay like attention to the color and the smell. I think is really important. But I like that you mentioned earlier about the education because you can also don't right away, especially when you buy a retail bottle, think you know, this is bad. I got to run it. If you are doing education in wine, it's always good to, to kind of learn these off things. Mm-hmm. You know, I we always try to keep a corked bottle to show in classes and, and stuff like that. And over time, it gets worse and worse. And it's just beyond what you can show. But if you're, you're in the wine where you're learning, it's always good to kind of taste that and keep tasting and keep smelling it so you detect those bad faults use it as an education tool uh, especially if it's an inexpensive wine and and be aware usually that percentage of bad wines unless you disagree Kim, would be higher faults for a lower quality wine than higher quality wine would you agree with I that i don't know if i agree with that well, I, guess, I guess it depends cork, on the fault yeah well they could have a produ- producer that has a totally bad line of corks and the mm-hmm. whole line is bad but i probably see more in a lower price range wines than a higher price range of corked bottles of or cork, of other of, bad of, bottles of faults of not faults. just corked huh. but just faults in general but that's subject i mean we we've drank a lot of wine so well, i'm sorry we taste a lot of wine <laughs> so i guess you can't really there's no real numbers to that yeah Especially you know, when the when the fault doesn't have anything to do necessarily with the quality of the wine, but it has more to do with the storage conditions. Do you track uh, return rates at the restaurant? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm curious if it, over the years it's gone up or down because mm. based on people's I don't know education towards wine, is it getting better? Yeah, or worse? I don't think that we do that. We do track bottles that have been returned. I know we we talk about it all the time, especially when we go out and we do wine dinners and we're talking with our suppliers and our distributors. And there's all 
always the, the topic of conversation of, oh, this bottle isn't showing the way that it's supposed to show. Or I had this one at a different time and it tasted differently and maybe things have changed with screw caps. So it is a topic of conversation that we often have. Uh, but as far as tracking it, I, I really don't think that there has been much, much that's tracking. Like a, that's like a worse fear as you're doing a wine dinner or a wine oh, education class. You might only have two bottles or one bottle at some yeah. times of a certain thing and it's bad and you're like, it ruins the whole and event because you had and something pretty planned common, towards it. You know, it, it's, it, it does happen probably more often than we would like. I think yeah. it happens less than it used to, uh, certainly less than, you know, 20 years ago with, with the advent of screw caps and with better technology and with kind of all these other ideas for alternative closures. But yeah, still still does happen. Are you like me? You're at a trade event and they say, oh, it's, we had this bottle, but it's bad. Are you like, I still, I just want to try <laughs> How bad is it, right? Uh, but it can, yeah, like maybe. Say, it it's like, oh, your, so disappointing. Yeah, it could ruin your palate. But I've had with these wines that are hundreds of dollars cost and i'm like i just want to i just want to try <laughs> this say i tried it. it even if it's bad and then you regret and you did because it ruined your palate right so. thank you for joining us today on the wonderful world of wine we've been your host mark Lindsay and kim simone exploring all things wine with you you can find us on facebook at the wonderful world of wine and you can find our past episodes on soundcloud and itunes cheers Bye.